Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We've been studying through uh, the most powerful message that Jesus ever gave. I would call it the greatest message, greatest sermon ever preached, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, what we've entitled this, this uh, series as is we've entitled it The Way. And uh, today I'm going to be specifically talking about the way of Jesus as found in how he interacts and relates when he has been wronged. He's going to talk about retaliation today in Matthew chapter 5, um, starting at verse 38 is where we're going. Matthew 5, starting at verse 38. And we'll see how far we get today. I'm going to continue on next week with Church in the Park, wherever we leave off. But um, Basically, what you know about this uh, sermon that Jesus preached is that he's gathered his disciples up on top, of a, uh, on top of a mountain, and he has sat down, okay? I don't know what's up with people today, where now, now today the, 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 the pastor is the one standing while everyone else is sitting down. Back then, it was the, the teacher sat down, everyone else stood. So I don't know if we should flip things a little bit today. Maybe, maybe. All right. Fresh out of children's church. All right. I am too. <laughs> but um, that's what Jesus was doing. And in this message, what he, he's doing with his disciples is he is correcting the misconceptions that people had about religion and about the kingdom of heaven and about the way of following Jesus. And specifically today, we're going to talk about the Jesus Way. And so let me read our passage, um, verses 38 through 42, we'll start off with, and, um, and then we'll go to, go to a word in prayer and ask God to teach us this morning. So it says there in Matthew, Matthew 5, 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. We've got a lot to pray about this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. God, um, you have uh, said these things in a way that, um, Lord, we're receiving them, and they're really difficult words. And God, we want to understand your heart. We want to get your best. And, um, Lord, we want to know the way of your kingdom. Lord, it's so different than our own. And so, Lord, teach us this morning and change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, as, uh, as we have read this text today, I don't know if you have uh, read this portion of Scripture before, but um, I, I will say right off the bat that I am challenged by this Scripture, specifically this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. The whole sermon has been very convicting, but this one specifically is, is also confusing. And um, I would guess that you're also convicted, or if you're not convicted, you just don't understand what Jesus is saying. And so let's, um, let's first of all talk about what is Jesus talking about here? 
what is the purpose of this law that he has, has brought up? He's, he's using all these, you have heard it said, statements. And I think this is the fifth of six that he is referring to. And so number one, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about the purpose of this law, purpose of the Mosaic law. And um, referring back to 38, we see that he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now that seems very literal, and this is actually recorded in a few different places in Scripture. If you turn back to the book of Exodus, you'll see in Exodus chapter um, 21 that it says there in that Scripture that if there is harm, you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. This was part of the law that God gave to his people um, there at Mount Sinai, um, who had, he, he, he had just delivered out of slavery in Egypt. The other place is Leviticus chapter 24. It explains it. Whoever takes a human life, it says, shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he is done, it shall be done to him, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he is given, a person shall be given to him. Okay, so literally, again, he's quoting the scripture. And the last one here, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21, basic quotation again, and your eye shall not pity, it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for for foot. Again, this is God's word. And it seems a little bit extreme, doesn't it? But this was a law that was given for a just society to function. Just as these Israelites had been delivered out of slavery and under the law of the Egyptians, a very polytheistic society, they'd been brought out into the wilderness, brought to Mount Sinai, and there God delivered his law of, here's how I want your society to work. And this law was given, it was, it was actually taught in the synagogues of that day as it had been passed down to the Israelites of that time. But the way that it was taught, actually, they, they took this good and just law and helpful law, and what they did is they twisted it. And that's why Jesus is going to talk about it. We'll explain that in a little bit. But basically, this law in ancient times was called Lex Telionis. Lex Telionis, and also known as tit for tat, okay? And what it means is equal punishment for the crime. The punishment should never exceed, okay, you don't have to do that. <laughs> the punishment should never exceed the crime. That's the basic concept that is being taught with this law. And so when you read the command, it was actually given as instructions for the judges of Israel at that time, those that would, that would administrate civil justice. And so the law gave guidelines or limitations on what could be received back for damages that were done. In other words, people could only get back what they lost, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, as you also saw, hand for hand, foot for foot. Okay? Some people, when they read this command in Scripture, they're like, that's disgusting. 
that is gross. That is cruel. That is bloody. Okay, why in the world would we want to follow a command like that? And I understand why, why they wouldn't want to do that, okay? I, I think we'd just throw it all out. Actually, what they did is usually what would happen is instead of losing an eye, if you'd taken someone's eye, instead of losing an eye yourself or losing a hand or losing a foot, what they would do is they would say, okay, there's, there's usually a, a financial arrangement that we can make here. And so they would agree financially, this is, this is the loss that I've occurred by losing my, my eye or losing the ability of my hand or my arm or whatever else you broke or, or wronged in, in my place. And so what they would do is, is they would, they would uh, take this law and, and they, would, they would use a tactic of, of mercy. They would say, okay, this is, this is what you need to pay me as restitution for what you caused as loss in my life. And so this, this, uh, this law was, was, was given to compensate for loss that occurred, and in, in reality, this was a merciful law, and was a guidance to the judges of Israel. That was the purpose of the command. You've heard it said. You've heard it said, okay? But what had happened, as we as referred back to, is, is that the Jews at that time had perverted this law. What they had done is they had moved it from the law courts and they'd moved it into the sphere of human relationships. Okay, and that, that's point number two that we're going to see. If, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about the perversion of the Jewish system. And here, here's why Jesus refers to it, because basically they had taken God's heart for justice, and they, they had, uh, had used it against people. The Jews took Lex Telionis out of the law courts and moved it into their personal lives, operating their relationships with vendettas, with vindications, with revenge, and with vengeance. They had taken what was intended for the court of law, and they had weaponized it in relationships between one another as a command that you have to seek justice every time that you are wronged. And you need to seek revenge and retribution. If someone wrongs you, you deserve to seek revenge after them. And so you can understand the spiral that that caused in human relationships. When someone wronged someone else, they, they sought revenge. And what happens when you seek revenge? You up the ante a little bit, okay? And so if someone pokes me in the eye, what's my tendency to do? I want to poke them in the eye. I want to slap them in the face, right? And then what do they want to do? They want to punch me in the face and punch me in the gut, and then I want to kick them in the groin, right? That's what happens. And that's what happens when we try and take revenge. And that's why Jesus says, this is not the way of the kingdom of heaven. This is not the way that a just society works. And so to understand this, human relationships and law courts are two very distinct things. Two very distinct things. For example, we don't want law courts to act as human relationships do. And we don't want human relationships to act as law courts. If a person commits a crime, we don't want the court to say, oh, we are a court of mercy. You come and if you've committed a crime, just confess your crime and we will give you mercy every time. As Jesus said, 70 times 7, you should forgive. And so that's what, that's what we're going to do. We're going to forgive you every time. Just come, come back to the court of law and we'll give you mercy and, and you won't owe anything, okay? We don't want that from the court of law. 
Because what would happen is people would take advantage of that, and there'd be injustice happening all over the place, wouldn't there be? The court of law operates on an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth basis, okay? But nor do we want human relationships to act like a court of law. Think about that. If your neighbor borrows your car and returns with it all busted up, we don't then say, okay, come over to their house with a sledgehammer and say, okay, what can I bust up? (laughs) You know, that's not what we do. That's not what we should do. Because what that leads to is an escalation in the conflict. The court of law operates on an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth basis. Human relationships operate based upon love and forgiveness. In one, you're dealing with a crime. In the other, you're dealing with a human relationship. And those two are to be kept distinct. Now, can I tell you sometimes where we have, we have even gotten this wrong? Some of you have even seen uh, some documentaries about, uh, say, Hillsong Church or um, the Catholic Church or the Southern Baptist Convention, where there have been crimes that have been committed within the church, sexual crimes that should have been reported to the police, but in an effort to try and keep, keep the peace, they, they brought these parties together and they said, okay, you have to forgive each other. You can't move on until you just forgiven. And they forced forgiveness, and they never let the law just operate, okay? One is a human relationship. The other is, is an issue of the court of law. And when there is a crime that's committed, it should be taken to the court of law. That's why courts exist. That's why judges exist, okay? And so, so we need to understand that distinction in what Jesus is saying right here. He's not saying that we should never, never seek justice when there is a crime that's being committed. But he's, saying, he's saying when there is a crime bring it to the law courts. Don't take retribution out yourself because it only leads to an escalation. That's, that's the essence of Jesus's teaching right here. And so as we get to point number three, we see that not only are these two, two things to be kept distinct, what Jesus teaches is that um, there are some principles that I want to give you as people of the kingdom of heaven that we can apply into our lives. And so let's, let's see Jesus' approach in verse 39. He says, but I say to you, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Huh? Jesus? This verse, again, has been very misinterpreted. Um, People think, and we'll use this verse as a reason for absolute pacifism. And, um, you know, there is a place... For, um, for resisting evil in Scripture. Can I just tell you that? Um, I'll, I'll bring you to a verse in Exodus chapter 22. It talks about specifically um, a situation of a thief breaking into your home, and it's, it, gives, it gives us a foundation for, okay, how should, we, how should we respond? Should we just be passive and just let them, let them you know, take advantage of our family and steal our stuff and things like that? No, it, it, says, it says there, very close to where this command was given, that if a thief is found breaking in and is struck a fatal blow, okay? Um, so if you as a homeowner defend yourself and your family and he is killed, it says that the defender is not guilty of the bloodshed. Actually, you'll, you'll see it goes on a verse later if you want to research this. It, it gives a little caveat, though. But if it's daylight when this person comes in and he's dealt a fatal blow and is killed, actually the, the, the 
offender is um, liable for that. Um, very interesting caveat there. But um, we have the same kind of laws today, don't we? Um, I don't know what they're called specifically, but I do know that if someone were to break into my home and, and they have gone through, gone through my doors, and um, that, that I am allowed to defend myself and my family. And that, that's why I have a concealed carry permit. That's why, I, uh, you know, why we have a security team here at the church, why I'm prepared at night, especially if someone were to break in my home. You don't want to be in there because you probably won't come out alive. And I'm sure a lot of you are the same way, right? That is not wrong to defend your family. It's actually, you know, it, I think it's built, built into us that, that God is a protector. And husbands especially, you, you are a protector for your families. And uh, there, there should be um, something that, that we do to protect our families and, and resist those that are evil. There are evil people in this world. We should resist them. But what did Jesus mean when he said, don't resist the one who is evil? Don't resist the one who is evil. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction to us? Well, I think we need to understand actually the language of the word resist, okay? The word resist actually means, if you look at the original language, it means set against or to set against. So if we take that in context, he's saying, don't set yourself against the one who wrongs you. In other words, don't start a feud. Don't seek revenge when someone wrongs you. And the teaching is not just, just limited to the Sermon on the Mount. If you read uh, Romans chapter 12, I'll have it up on the screen, it says this, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Okay, so in other words, be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What do you do with an enemy? To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Understand, heaping coals of fire simply means turning back hate with love that may lead to shame on that person's part. And he sums it up by saying this, verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can I tell you, that is the Jesus way. What he's telling us is, here's how I respond to evil, and here is how I want you as my disciples, as my followers, to respond to those who are evil. He's a perfect example in that. He's not denying the fact that we have the right to resist people that are evil or to retaliate personally when we are wronged. He just calls us when it comes to a personal vendetta, personal vengeance that's unrelated to the court of law. He says, just choose not to do so. Choose to treat those who wrong you, not with hate, but with love and forgiveness. And then what he does is he picks out four examples. Four examples, starting in verse 39, the end of 39, to teach us and illustrate these principles in action. And I think each of these we can relate into our own lives, and we actually see that Jesus himself taught them by the way that he lived. 
So the four examples, if you want to take notes, um, are the examples of, and I won't have these on the screen, um, reputation, he's going to talk about then possessions, he's going to talk about our time, and then he's going to talk about our resources. So let's talk about first our reputation, verse 39. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Turn to him the other also. Now, this verse may bring to mind an incident between comedian Chris Rock and Will Smith at the Oscars. You remember that? Yeah, we've been seeing this slap all over the news for the last how many, two years maybe now? I need someone to come up and illustrate this for me, though. Anyone? All right, Jesse, come on up. You've been fresh out of children's church. Come on up. All right. So as you can see, this slap that that Will Smith uh, gave to Chris Rock, what did he do? He slapped him on the what cheek? What cheek was it? His left cheek. His left cheek. All right. What did Jesus say, though? If anyone slaps you on the right cheek. And so this is not a slap like Will Smith to Chris Rock. This is not a slap of, bam, that hurt, okay? This is a slap kind of like this, like that. A slap from the back of the hand, okay? Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. (laughs) Let's give Jesse a hand. (laughs) All right. Now, just so you know, um, if you've ever heard the phrase a backhand comment, what does that mean? It means something, you know, something that was uh, cruel that was said about you, you know, something that... um, that was rude, that was sent, sent toward you, um, basically an insult that you were given. Um, and, and that was the equivalent of what they knew in their day, a backhanded comment, or literally just someone slapping you on the back of, with the back of their hand. Um, in that day, to be slapped with the back of your hand was, was the, the height of an insult in the ancient world. And I would even say today, if you've ever been slapped, especially by the back of the hand, like, you know, maybe your mom or dad even did that to you if, if you, they were upset with you. Don't you feel that? Doesn't a rage come into you like, oh, you shouldn't be touching me? Yeah, there's something, there's something about, about being hit in the face that just brings that out in you. And, and I, I know even when, say, my kids have been playing and they'll bump me in the nose, you know, there's this like, oh, like, oh, and you have to really hold yourself back from getting really, really angry about it. This, this was the height of an insult, okay? And Jesus is teaching that we are to resist the temptation to respond in kind when an insult, or someone, someone insults us or demeans us or, or attempts to draw us into a fight. Because what happens is that when we respond in kind to someone that insults us or someone that intends to draw us into a, into a fight, either verbally or physically, what it does is eventually, basically it makes us both look very childish and stupid. And it ruins our witness because it shows our immaturity. And I believe that that's, that's the point that Jesus is getting at. When you are tempted to reali- re- retaliate the same way that someone retaliated against you, he's saying, turn the other cheek. Let it go. Let the insult go. Don't engage, because it usually doesn't turn out well. Yes, you have the right to defend yourself, 
but Jesus is calling you to choose not to do so if it's not harming you personally. If it's just an insult that you can be like, okay, that person has probably hurt themselves. That person probably has been wronged by someone else, and maybe they're taking it out on me. I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe I did something. He's saying, don't, don't escalate it. Don't respond in kind by slapping them. No, turn the other cheek. Now, as I said, with each of these, Jesus is our example. And people say in John chapter 18, when Jesus was slapped, that uh, he didn't turn the other cheek. And so, so um, what do we do about that? Well, let me, let me show you this, this scenario. It actually says in John chapter 18, when, when he was slapped, the way that he responded was he, he said to the person that slapped him, he said, if I have done evil, tell me what it is. If I haven't, why did you do that? And so he was just trying to reason with them. He didn't slap them back. He didn't escalate it. He tried to ask them, okay, why, why did you do that? What was the reason for it? And that, that may be even a, a teaching for us that if, we are, if someone insults us or wrongs us, that, that maybe we don't understand why or where that was coming from, that we go seek that person out personally and ask, hey, um, I heard you gossiping about me. I heard you saying this about me. Can I understand, or did you actually say that? Sometimes, sometimes that's the way that gossip works. It just it manifests itself in someone, and then it gets, the story gets changed and escalated, and it grows and grows until what we hear then is something totally different. So you've got to go to the source. You've got to ask that person, did you actually say that instead of accusing them? Hey, you said this about me. I hate you. Something like that, okay? No, you need to ask them. Ask them, hey, did you say that? And try and understand. And that, that's what Jesus was doing here. Now, Jesus turned the other cheek plenty of times because what happened after that is, is they plucked his beard out. They spat upon him. They nailed the crown of thorns into his head. They mocked him. They beat him. They whipped him, okay? And as he is suffocating there on that cross, what did Jesus say? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the Jesus way. So Jesus is teaching, you're not required to retaliate. You're not required to retaliate. If you're worried about your reputation, and often that, that's what's at the heart of our retaliation, we want to we wanna correct what was wronged. We're worried about something being spread about us that is false. If you're worried about your reputation, you can't always control that. But remember, you've been wronged, you are still a child of God. You're made in the image of Jesus Christ. One day, you will live with him forever, and nothing and no one can separate you from his love. He sees you. He knows you, and he loves you, even though he sees everything that's wrong within you. So, that was the first point as we talked about reputation. Second point, as we go in verse 40, he gives an illustration of how it relates to our possessions. Our possessions. Verse 40 gets actually very graphic in regards to, to our possessions. He says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now you may be like, wait a minute, if someone sues me, 
I'm going to countersue them, okay? Or at least I'm going to defend myself, okay? Um, actually, what, what Scripture teaches is that if someone, if someone like something, if you've wronged someone and, and it's going to lead into a, the court of law, actually what, what he actually teaches is try and settle it as quick as you can so it doesn't escalate to that, okay? But he's saying if, if, it, if it has escalated to that point, at that time, Jewish law stated that if someone sued you and the reason why they were suing you was because they felt very strongly that you did something wrong to them and they deserved restitution, someone sued you and they won. Usually there was a financial settlement that, that, was, that was taken and uh, they could take your tunic, or the shirt off your back, that's where that came from, the shirt off your back as collateral until you paid your debt off. Now, what Jewish law said is that you are not allowed to take someone's, um, uh, if we go back there, uh, and sue you and take your tunic, that was a shirt, a shirt off your back, <laughs> let him have your cloak as well. The cloak was the outer garment, maybe that heavier garment, okay, like a coat. They weren't allowed to take your coat. They could take the shirt off your back, they weren't allowed to take your coat. What Jesus is saying is, is, I want you to give away your last piece of security just to show that person that you want to go over and, and, and beyond to, to, to show that you're really sorry for what you did. That's going to surprise them. That's going to stun them because you're not holding on to your rights. You're saying, I, I, can, I can deal with maybe a, maybe a verdict that uh, I didn't quite agree with, but I'm going to show the love of Jesus I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to give whatever I can to make this right. And that, that's the concept that, that Jesus is, is teaching right here. Is that, is that hard for us? You think we could do that? Man, that's, that's difficult. I'll just be honest. Man, I think if I've, I've never been sued before, and I hope I never, never am, but I, uh, I just know that if that would happen to me, I would, I would really want to fight tooth and nail to give the least that I could. And I think that's our heart. But Jesus' heart is this. What, what he did is he was willing to go and give everything. That's what he did. He left the security of heaven. He, he actually lost all of his garments and was nailed to a cross. That, that's what he did. He illustrated this for us. He met the justice of God on our behalf. And so he, he is our example he lost his reputation. He lost his possessions on our behalf. He gave up everything for us. And so we've talked about reputation. We've talked about possessions. Third, he goes on to talk about our time. Okay? Verse 41. Keep on reading. It says, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Anyone forces you to go with, with him one mile, go with him two miles. This, this um, actually, this verse provides the background for the expression, go the extra mile. Did you know that? We, we use that, that phrase a lot. Um, but uh, it had some history that went along with it. At that time, in, in the, the culture that they were in, uh, the Romans ruled their world. And so uh, it was written into the Roman law that... Um, regardless of the direction that a Jewish person was traveling, that if a Roman soldier was going, going in a direction and wanted a Jewish person to carry their pack, that they could enlist that person and stop them, and they could make that person carry their pack 
one whole mile, even if it was the other direction. And the Jews hated that. They absolutely hated it. And you better believe it, they counted their steps, 2,000 to be exact. They did not go a step further. And what they would do is they would drop that pack, leave that Roman soldier to carry his own stuff, okay? That's what they would do. And they thought, yeah, that's the way that we revolt against, against Rome. We're not doing anything more than what we're required to. What's Jesus teaching, though? If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. The point that Jesus is making is don't behave like everyone else. Offer to go another mile. By carrying the pack for another mile, you are showing the soldier the love of God. And you're given an opportunity to maybe even talk about Talk about the true God, the God of the universe, the God who made heaven and earth. Talk about Jesus Christ, his son, and be a living witness of the gospel. Because what did Jesus do for us? Didn't he go the extra mile? Yeah, I'd say more than that, right? He came down from heaven to earth. He stripped off of his, you know, he, he, he being God in the flesh came down and put on human flesh. And instead of just showing us mercy, he didn't stop there. He gave us his grace. He not only paid for our sins, but he gave us his righteousness. That's the extra mile. Jesus went the extra mile with us. And he illustrated that also with, with, um, with his, his time. You know, it's interesting that Jesus, some of the most powerful moments in his life were as he was traveling somewhere, and he saw somebody, and he stopped, and he listened, and he valued them, and spoke about the kingdom of God. And that's often, we, we get so focused on our schedule, our time, you know, what we're doing in the day. And I understand we got a lot of things to do, a lot of places to go. But here's the deal. If Jesus is, a, is our example, we will take seriously that sometimes Jesus is going to make demands on our time. He's going to put someone in front of us that needs to hear from us, needs to have a friend, needs to have a conversation. Just be praying about that and asking God, God, would you slow me down so that I can notice people that are on, in my path maybe every single day, but I'm yet, I'm just, I'm just avoiding them, and I'm, I haven't been willing to go the extra mile. You can't do it with everybody, but you can do it with one, can't you? And that's what, that's what I, I believe part of what Jesus was teaching. Surrender your time to the Lord. Lastly, he brings us to his last statement, verse 42. He says, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So what does he mean? I think, I think it's, it's a very plain statement that Jesus gave, and, and we could make a lot of excuses um, but let's just take the plain meaning first of all. What do you mean, give to the one who begs? I believe what he means is that when someone has a genuine need and they ask, you ought to give it to them. You've got to give what you have if you have it and if you can help. Okay? It's a hard attitude. It's actually a, a, a mindset toward what you have, that you're thinking as, as not an owner but as a steward, that everything that you have 
really actually belongs to the Lord. Everything is owned by the Lord. Everything is His, and you're just a manager here of it on earth. And so if someone needs it, saying, hey, you can have it. If it's a genuine need, now I understand there are, there's people that want to take advantage of you, and you've got to discern some of that. But sometimes I think that often we try and discern our way out of actually following Jesus' command and actually helping people that may have a legitimate need. And so when someone has a need, don't just pray about it, but act upon it, okay? When someone has a genuine need, you've got to give to them if you have the means to do so. If you have it and they need it, give it. If they need it and you have it, let them have it, okay? Deuteronomy 15 verse 7 is a companion passage. I want to just, just, uh, just reference that. Um, this is part of what they were taught. He said, if there's anyone among you that, uh, if, if there's among you a poor man of your brethren within your gates, in your land, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from the poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Now in the next chapter, He's going to actually flesh out what this might look like. I want to just read this as well. If you go on to chapter 6, starting in verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. That's the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to. And as we close, let's just, let's just remember, this is the Jesus way. This is the way that he teaches us as his followers to live. This is the way of the kingdom of heaven. Is it hard? Absolutely, because it goes against everything sinful in us that teaches us to get what we want, to focus on ourselves. Jesus is teaching, no, you focus on others. You, you demonstrate the love that I have shown to you, to others. This is the Jesus way. And didn't he demonstrate it the most in that while we were sinners, while we didn't deserve anything, when we were poor spiritual beggars, wronging God, Christ, it said, died for us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, while we were sinners. When we could have received revenge from God, God showed to us His mercy and His grace. And can I tell you, that mercy and that grace is available to you today. If you don't know it, if you've never received it, you may think, I'm, I'm unworthy, I don't deserve anything from God. I've never done anything that deserves His grace. Can I tell you you're wrong? Because He loves you while you are a sinner. Christ died for you. He wants to show these, this illustration, what we just received from His Word today, to you, if you've never received it. And if you have, He wants you to then show it to others. So let's pray and ask God that we might receive it and that we might give it today. And as we close, we're going to sing a song that actually has been written just recently, just a couple weeks ago, um, that reflects on this scripture specifically. And so we're going to enjoy that as we close our service. Jesus.
thank you for your word. Thank you that, Lord, while we were sinners, you, Jesus, you died for us. Thank you that, Lord, when we come to you as poor spiritual beggars, Lord, you have mercy and you have grace that's available for us when we need it. Thank you, God, for meeting our needs in Jesus Christ. Thank you for not seeking the revenge that we deserve with your holiness and your wrath, but, Lord, giving us grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that if there is someone that we have been wronging, Lord, in our relational sphere, Lord, that we would repent of that sin of trying to seek revenge, repent of that sin of wishing bad upon them, kind of being happy inside when something, something goes wrong for them, Lord. Convict us of those areas that we have wronged you. And Lord, change our heart. Lord, I, I, I also just, just want to just um, pray with those that are here that may not know you right now, that, that have heard of your mercy and grace and want to receive you. If that's you, and uh, you're here in this church service, and you want to receive Jesus as your personal Savior, and Lord, today, you want to you wanna receive his mercy and his grace. I want to just lead you in a prayer. What scripture says is everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the way of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So if you want to call upon his name today, if you want to confess your sins and receive him as your Savior and Lord, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you and, um, and lead, lead you on that path to, to knowing Jesus. Anyone here would like to know Jesus and pray, pray with me right now, just raise your hand up. I want to lead you in the sinner's prayer. We'll all affirm it together. And pray with me, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I confess, Lord, that I have wronged you and that I've not lived the way that I should. Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ your son was crucified for my sin, died, and rose again. And I believe that he is the only way to God. Lord, would you forgive me of my sins and make me your child. Free me from my slavery to sin and Lord, help me to live for you. Lord, I want to follow the Jesus way and I want to be found in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.